And we're live with our 182nd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Uh, it's going to be a little bit abbreviated this week. Uh, it's kind of last minute for both of us uh, since we weren't quite sure what was happening, but doesn't matter. We are here. We're ready to go. And yeah, there's not really that many announcements. I did want to reiterate that we are going to be at DeepSec in Vienna in November, teaching practical secure code review, as we are apt to do at different conferences. Anyway, uh, if you are looking for an opportunity to attend uh, that, that training, or you've been hoping that we come to Europe at this point, that is that's where we're going to be. So, and I think it's November 15th and 16th, if I remember right, something like that, right? Uh, yeah, it says uh, 15th to the 18th of November. Yep. And the training days are 15th, 16th. Conference days are 17th and 18th. Um, as of right now, DeepSec is at a indescript, um, at a secret location in Vienna. And I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know what the location is yet, so... We're not going to give it away here. Anyway, it's in Vienna somewhere. We'll be in Austria. So come with us if you can. Um, Just show up to Austria. We'll figure the rest out. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> show up to Austria. It's a small country, right? Right? No. <laughs> um, besides that, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I do feel like we're in that post-conference uh, kind of haze, right? of research and articles that are coming out. Um, the big thing that happened in the last week or so, though, is the is Mudge and Twitter, right? So, uh, I mean, that's, that's partially what we wanted to talk about today. I think, you know, there's quite a bit there to unpack. Um, if for anyone that's been following the Twitter drama and literally about Twitter, not just drama on Twitter, because InfoSec drama <laughs> on Twitter is always there. Um, but um, Mudge has come out, and I'm not sure which article you want to start with there, Ken. Um, you know, what's yeah. actually happened? Like, what is your understanding of, of the whole situation to start with? Yeah, I'm actually trying to pull up one of the, the ones. Hold on one second here. Um, here we go. So this article is from Wired. And it basically is a synopsis around or a summary of um, the worst parts of the allegations. And here we go. Let me just post that there and let me post the Slack. Right. So um, the, some of the, the worst allegations were, you know, hiring a known foreign government um, agent into the, in, you know, into Twitter. Um, so that's one which I don't have a lot of clarity around. Um, I, I'd be interested to know more if that was like a former, that was like their job for, you know, in a past life and then they were hired or if they were known to be active, that's a totally different thing. And I don't know. So that's one thing. The other is, uh, is actually pretty interesting, I think, because, you know, well, first of all, it's one of your favorite subjects. And second of all, it's very common, um, in a lot of organizations, sadly, unfortunately, but a lack of monitoring and logging around production assets and also allowing, you know, the majority of staff to have access to, um, uh, yeah, to, to the production environment and the production data specifically. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's why I think it's odd that it's Twitter is given Twitter size, how long they've been around or maturity. Well, what, what should be some maturity around that product and, and yeah, ecosystem. Um, it's surprising that they haven't done any of that, I guess, uh, or that that's the allegation. That's a surprising allegation in, in that regard for them. It's not surprising, however, and this is maybe a different point. Um, that happens a lot, man. How many times have you gone into a customer, you know, space and seen like, Oh, there's no, like there's no real auditing and logging. Everybody's got access you know, usually the the CI deployment production, it's all very open. No, you know. Yeah, everyone has root creds. Yeah. yeah. It, 
so and this has been my big takeaway here is uh, like we're acting shocked as an industry that this is how Twitter is set up, but everybody's got their dirty laundry, right? I like, I I have a hard time casting aspersions at Twitter, at their security team, having been a consultant, having walked into multiple organizations and realizing how difficult it is to go from a startup mentality to a, you know, I guess like almost banking mentality about the data and the, you know, and the, yeah, the assets that you have to a fully secure environment. It's not, and it's not an easy process. And I would argue that most organizations of Twitter size of Twitter's age out there probably have similar problems. Um, and we just don't know about them. Like no, no Mudge has stepped forward to say this is an issue, right? Like, you know that Facebook has had their issues or Meta or whatever they're called now. Um, and, and, and it's very similar stuff, right? When Stamos was there, like I, they were trying to make that move from, hey, we're a startup. All the developers have access. We're agile. Everyone gets to push at any time. We make all these changes to more of that hey, everything is secure, everything's locked down, no one has access to things that they don't, that they shouldn't have access to. I mean, we've talked about this from a GitHub perspective, right? Um, the, the, the authorization matrix that you guys have to test on, a, on an every change basis to make sure that something doesn't break, that somebody doesn't get access to something they shouldn't have access to. That sort of thing is not a trivial task and so, like, compound that by, you know, 5,000 engineers and half of them have been there since, you know, day, you know, whatever, like five years into this, this plan, pulling away that access is not something that's going to be easy to do, even though it's probably the right thing. I, I just, I, I, I don't. <laughs> Like I said, I, I, I have a hard time with the security industry casting aspersions. And like this happens all the time when one of these breaches or one of these reports come out is uh, like we point a lot of fingers at specific organizations, specific people in organizations when our own garden is not that well groomed, right? Is not that well taken care of. Um, and it's it's all. Uh, we may have lost Seth, or perhaps my connection's messed up. Um, someone on Slack or YouTube confirm? Okay, so that was weird. Uh, looks like Seth's troubleshooting coming coming back. Uh, while while Seth's gone, I'll cover some more, I guess, of that of that article. I think some other things that were interesting uh, were the lack of yeah, definitely some technical difficulties there. So a lack of controls on smartphones, a lack of control on developer laptops. Um, once Seth comes back on, there's one point I'd like to kind of bring up here, which is, you know, Mudge, I believe, was hired in 2020 um, after Twitter had a slew of accounts uh, compromised. And I think the Wired article actually speaks to that. And I know that if I'm not, again, not mistaken, I believe it was either December or January. So back last, either December or January, Mudge was let go for poor performance. Um after, though, I believe raising these concerns to the Twitter uh, board. So all of this is uh, pretty interesting um, in terms of timelines. I think it paints a picture that, you know, that's not a, I guess why I bring that up is that's not a long time to, uh, to, to, sorry, I'm just getting a message now from Seth. His Comcast uh, went down. So maybe he'll be able to tether in and, and watch it. But um, going back to my point, 
uh, I don't think a year and a half is a very long time to be able to, you know, fix some serious, I mean, this is a total lack of, of maturity, um, in security. And that's a hard thing to fix in a very short period of time, a year and a half, maybe, um, you know, especially at a sizable organization, definitely not something that is, uh, easy to do. So sorry, I'm reaching out to Seth now. Hopefully we'll get some feedback here. Uh, while we wait, any um, questions anyone wanted to ask? I'm a little exhausted right now. Uh, um, just been a, a lot, of, uh, a lot of training for this. Uh, from for anybody who is into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on uh, this week, there's Masters Worlds in Vegas. Traveling to that, but that means a lot of training and, and just kind of getting ready for that. So that's why I look a little more tired than normal. Um, yeah, I'll just kind of see if there's any questions while we wait on Seth to comment more here. Uh, okay. Looks like we might have. Seth here shortly. So one question we had, uh, and it does look like Seth's going to be able to dial in here shortly. So one question is, how is GitHub affected by the great resignation? Are you seeing a higher turnover rate? Um, I think we, I don't know that we've seen necessarily. Yeah, actually, you know, that's a good, great, that is a great question. We have seen some turnover. Um, I think some of that, it's hard to determine if it's a great resignation type stuff or if it's, you know, remember we were acquired by Microsoft in 2018. So there is a vesting period to be mindful of. And obviously we hit that vesting period um, that may have some, that may play into, I mean, that may lead and assist even in, in the resignation part. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say I've seen a massive, and if actually I'd say what I've really seen is a massive growth, if anything. Um, you know, I think our, our security team's grown by Quite, quite a bit, and I don't know what numbers are public, so I won't go into the exact numbers, but the security team, engineering, you know, the company as a whole, we've grown quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if, uh, um, and I don't know that the InfoSec community is necessarily immune to that. Um, what I have seen, though, is a trend in, I don't know, I, I've seen more and more of my peers, people that have been around for a while, kind of retreating away from security into other, like trying their hands in other fields. Um, I've seen a handful of people do that that I'm again, like peers with. Um, it does seem like, I don't know if that's a, like because of the great resignation or if that's just burnout from security work, it's not a very easy field. And it's usually it's, you know, we're, we're not exactly uh, cheered on, right? You know, usually people know about us when things go wrong. Um, uh, looks like we got Seth back. Seth, I was hey. just asking questions here. Oh, nice! You're on the you're on the deck. Uh, 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 yeah, we're 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 trying, right? <laughs> so yeah, I, I was just answering some questions. What's that? Okay, I have poor coverage elsewhere. So sorry, I don't know what's going on with Comcast. So, hey, now that you're back, one thing I, was, I brought up right before I kind of just paused on the whole conversation to wait for you, um, I just, you know, so basically like right before I paused to just answer questions and, and wait, um, I was bringing up the fact that like when you look at the timeline in terms of when Mudge was hired and then when Mudge was let go, really only had like, I think it looked like maybe a year and a half to maybe to um, fi fix because, you know, one of the, a few of the things are like, well, there was no endpoint security on the, like, uh, 
mobile phones that are used to connect to core services and like you know a, a lot of times too like uh chat chat ops are where things happen right so if you have a smartphone that's connected via slack or some other you know messaging system that you can deploy things from yeah obviously that's kind of scary too so but but anyways going back to the endpoint security and a lack thereof um it, it just seems like if if there's a lack of that level of maturity or a lack to that that shows that sort of immature security posture a year and a half is not enough to fix something like that that's just not enough time to to really move things in the right direction no that's i'm with you there because that's a that's really just like an initial stab anyone in an organization like it takes a long time to make those sorts of organizational changes um it's not like as a startup yes when there's 10 engineers it's a lot easier to be agile and to jump from solution to solution but not when it comes to i, I mean you look at the size of a twitter or a facebook or a meta or apple it's you know you're talking a year-long years long effort to actually implement even something as simple as endpoint protection, right? Find the solution, roll it out, make sure that everyone's supported. Um, and it's going to take more than one person to do it. Um, so it, like, and, th and that's part of like, I think what he was trying to get at was there was no organizational support for this sort of security um, that should have been in place. Um, but it's still like, Again, every every organization out there has these sorts of problems, and that's what you're hired as a CISO or as a as a security director to try and help fix. So I I don't know, like you know, airing the dirty laundry may may move the needle, but it also feels dirty to me, right? Like it, it feels rather, yeah. I, I mean, just a little suspect. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, what, what is your take on that, right? Is that something that you feel like is warranted for someone to step out and do? I think you're right to be cynical of that. Um, much is obviously highly respected. Um, no question about that, right? So it's not, but I, I don't know how, yeah, it's, it, I guess, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, professionally, it, it's a, it's yeah. Professionally, it's a no no. Like we can just get that off off uh, right. You know, we can get out there. We can get that out there right away. Like that's definitely not something that professionally is a good look. Just isn't. Um, at least at first glance. And then there's the moral. Uh, there's the morality part, right? What's right and what's wrong. It, it's it's a it's a tough. Yeah, I mean it's a tough it's a tough call. You know, if you if you really believe that something needs to be secure and that insecure practices need to be exposed, I you know I guess I could see it, but I do think like professionally, it's pretty pretty frowned upon. You know, to air dirty laundry yeah. like that because everybody has dirty laundry. Like you said that earlier, and it's absolutely true. There's no there's nobody who's perfect. So I don't really know how to feel. I'm kind of you know kind of haven't decided how I feel yet. How about you? What, what, what are your thoughts? What, yeah. what are your feelings about it? What, and that, like I swing back and forth. I'm with you there. Like I swing back and forth on whether or not it's a good thing. Um, I mean, on one hand, it, it is like, it's comforting to know that a lot of their large organizations struggle with these same problems, but I don't know if it needed to be aired in public like this, right? Um, I don't know if this had anything to do with Musk's, you know, Elon's takeover of Twitter, if there's other, um, there's other contributing factors to airing this publicly, because I, I mean, this sort of report, I would expect to have gone to like the board of directors, right? It did. Um, it someone did, right? That, so that's what they're saying. Yeah. They're saying that he did release this to the board of directors and then that's why he was let go shortly thereafter. Yeah, at least that's, I think that's what I read, um, which, okay. yeah, exactly. Like that seems, 
Because both things, both points that you bring up are major, massive points, right? Like the Elon Musk bend to this because he's literally like, okay, as Elon's complaining about, you know, the, the level of bot accounts uh, that are on the platform, much is disclosing that that's a real thing that isn't well controlled. So, yeah, that's the timing, the, the actual like things that are disclosed. That's a huge point that you bring up that, that definitely whether intentional or not it doesn't feel right it feels a little mm -hmm. hinky for sure and the second point is is a really good one which is like who did you bring it up to well you know he did bring it up to the board supposedly and lost his job because of it and so that's another massive you know point point about this story that just feels off you know yeah it's it's a it's almost a comedy of errors, right? Like I, I can understand why we're all so fascinated with it um, because it's a large social media corporation um, because it, it doesn't look like they're doing the, you know, some of the security of basics that you would expect them to do um, because of the manner that it's been, you know, aired. Um, yeah. The way that, you know, Mudge or respected, you know, security professional has been treated but also, right, like, is this, is it going to actually um, institute change? Is it going to cause change? Is it going to, I, I mean, is it going to make life better for users of, you know, the Twitter platform? Um, or is it just going to, yeah, or is it just going to drive people from the platform? Is that correct? Um, is, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Nice. I, I just, yeah, it's just, a, so I it's wanna, just an odd. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. It is odd. And I, and I want to add a couple points to this and I'm, as I'm reading through this. So uh, on the board point, there were these, this is important, I think. Um, so Mudge claimed that he, you know, had given this information about like Twitter, for instance, Twitter servers running out of date, and, you know, on basically unpatched software. That he reported this to uh, executives at the company, who then, uh, and this is again, let this is a, this is just an allegation. No he alleged yeah. that then the executives withheld that information from the company's board director, board of directors. That's the first point. The second point is that after in November, after Jack Dorsey resigned as the CEO, he informed the board that protections for sensitive user data were not as robust as they had been led to believe. So that's what was disclosed. It wasn't necessarily, uh, it doesn't sound like it was necessarily like, oh, here are all the things that are going wrong to the board of directors. It's more like, well, I told some executives and they didn't tell the board. And, but I did tell the board this one thing, and this is about sensitive user data, which I know he had reported also that like data at rest wasn't being handled properly. It wasn't encrypted. And mm -hmm. And so I'm guessing that might be like the not sense, you know, sensitive user data not being uh, handled securely enough report. That's just one thing out of what sounds like a multifaceted, many things going wrong security posture inside of Twitter from the yeah, allegations. Yeah, I, I don't know, right? Like it, it man. I, I I feel for the Twitter security guys, right? <laughs> At this point, uh, uh, you know, the ones that are on the ground trying to institute change as this is flying back and forth, trying to secure the PAT platform. I mean, all the problems that he's calling out are hard problems to solve. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, 500,000 servers, right? Okay. Hand that to anyone and say, "Hey, you have 18 months to upgrade these to make sure that they're all patched and properly, like, have updates enabled on them, and you know, we'll never like fall behind ever again, right? Like, it's just not a, it's not a tenable solution within that time frame, um, and and this like piecemeal approach to, to reporting these things too, right? Like, I, I, so I guess what I get back, what I go back to is there's blame to go around across the board right? Um, 
did much handle it all properly. That can be argued. Did the board handle it properly? That could be argued. The executives, obviously there's blame that goes across, you know, all of these different, yeah, all these different positions in the company. Um, but again, does it, is this the right way to air it? Is this the right way to actually, I, I mean, that that's always going to be argued, but um, yeah. however it happens, I, I, I would like to see there, see some sort of change, but we don't like as, as consumers as well as users of Twitter, Meta, Instagram, like wh whatever, TikTok, whatever platform, we don't require a lot of accountability out of these platforms. We just don't, we use them because they are there and they're popular. Um, but there's no, there's not necessarily accountability from a security usability protection perspective, um, or even a data protection mandate or law, right? Like that just doesn't exist with these companies. And so I don't know what you expect is going to happen with something that's grown so quickly over a short number of years um, to actually have your best interest in at at heart or in mind because they don't right they are built to sell ads let's be honest right they want your eyes they're going to get your eyes whatever it takes i don't know I, I'm, I'm just becoming more of a security nihilist and more cynical the more i think about it right so maybe we shouldn't go down that route too far but yeah i, I mean i think it's fair to point out that mudge has always been a person to just like push stuff in the open like that that's not and and yeah. Mudge is known to have like a pretty you know, strong set of opinions and stick to stick to those beliefs, um, which is an admirable quality. Uh, so it should, I guess, not be too surprised. I think the timing is I think the timing and the stuff with Elon and all that, I think that's just making all of this so much worse. And also this was filed with the SEC. Now, maybe Mudge thought the SEC was the best route to like actually affect change. Right. Maybe that's that's why it's just the, the other factors that, that, you know, complicate things. Right. It's like, is this yeah. out of spite? You know, it's seven months later after being fired or eight months later or it was filed, I think, in July. So it had been like seven months, I think, I think whatever. It's roughly around then. And then again, Elon Musk's whole, you know, the whole Twitter controversy you know, saying he was going to buy it and then backing out and then filing a second follow-up lawsuit. Um, yeah, just craziness. It's probably just the timing of it yeah, all. Yeah, it is. It is. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, obviously, we're not going to solve it here. But, you know, yeah. again, I, can't, I go back to the guys that are in the okay. trenches there, right, that are doing, trying to do product security or AppSec and, you know, on those teams. How does this affect them? Um does it get them more funding? Does it get them the help that they need to institute those changes? Or has it all gone on lockdown and now like they're not allowed to talk to anyone or even tell anyone that they work at Twitter, right? Like there, there's multiple ways that it can go. Um, and I just, I, like, I hope it gets better. You know, as, as, as someone that uses Twitter, right? Like, you know, again, it's just a social media platform. So, you know, how critical is it, you know, to to my life on a daily basis anymore. Yeah. Realistically, it doesn't move the needle that much as if this was a bank, if this was something like cap one or a highly regulated company like that, or something like Fanny, you know, like one of the Fanny or Freddie's, you know, or a you know, large governmental organization, I'd probably have more concerns uh, that security wasn't being taken as seriously as it probably should. Um, so there's a claim of, and I've seen this in some of the articles, claim that, uh, you know, there's political dissidents using the platform, which um, mm -hmm. to, mo like, I guess, mobilize or socialize, which I, I could see. I mean, I could see that. I mean, I also, also could see, like, Signal and WhatsApp being used um, for those purposes as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how. I, the truth is, I have no idea. Like, I'm, I'm not in the shoes of somebody who's a political dissident. So, I you know, I don't. I don't know how true that is. And, you know, maybe there's other cases. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's other other scenarios I can't think of right now for, for when that data at rest um, or just data being sensitive and handled properly, um, you know, should come into play. Probably like more like private DMs and things of that nature, I'd imagine. But um, yeah, to your point, you know, like I think... <laughs> 
Well, the funny thing is, if we were to probably ask most people, and it depends, right? It does depend on who you ask. I mean, if we were going to ask people in America, sure, like most of them would probably say, oh, whatever. Like I use Twitter to shout out when I'm pissed off at Walmart or whatever, like for the 90 seconds they had bothered me or whatever, right? Um, if you were to maybe go to Egypt or somewhere else, maybe that would be a totally different bend to it, like we just mentioned. Um, so I guess it's subjective who you ask, but I think on the whole, for most people using the platform, yeah, it's probably just a way to vent when you're pissed off or whatever, or, you know, share articles or share pictures and make jokes. Like, you know what I mean? That's, that's probably yep. the reality of it. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing to watch unfold, I guess. I don't have all, any yeah. answers here for anyone. <laughs> just, yeah, that's just where we're going, at, going with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're, you know, we need to, you know, yeah, discuss that too much more. Right. Um, the other, uh, the other item that I know we wanted to talk about was, again, breaches that are happening all the time. Um, the, the interesting one to me was LastPass that just happened. Um, again, right, within the last week or the last few days, right, where they sent out a security advisory, um, yeah, to all LastPass com- customers. I don't know did, if you want to post that or I can here shortly. Uh, yeah, no, I got it. I'm just uh, oh, yeah. slow today. <laughs> there we go. Cool. So, yep, we got it. Um. Yeah, recent security incident. Um, those of you that are familiar with password managers, and if you're listening to our podcast, you should be familiar with password managers. If you're not, then go use one. Yes, you should be using one. Um, so LastPass, and, and so there's a couple of items here, right? Like everyone's going to get breached at some point. I, I think you're you're fooling yourself if you think that there, anyone is secure enough not to get breached or not to have some sort of a of a security incident. Um, every organization that's out there, whether they have a you know multi million dollar security budget or like just a thousand you know a couple grand security budget, right? Everybody's going to get breached at some point. So the like the name of the game is not necessarily, hey, we have to prevent all breaches, which is a great goal to have. It's how do you contain the blast radius, right? When we get breached, how do we make sure that data is not being like, so this goes back to Twitter and encryption, but how do we make sure that sensitive data is not getting exposed? How do we make sure that our core business functionality can continue? Um, and you know, what do we do when it happens? Right. So communicating that out to your customers, that's great. Right. Like you've got to let them know, hey, it looks like data was exposed. Somebody was in, in our network. They were doing X, Y and Z. This is what we've determined has happened. Um, this is how you were protected. Now, the big note here for password managers is whether or not those master keys, those master passwords are actually exposed. In this case, they weren't. Right. Like no one was able to actually, you know, pull the pull that data, which means those password vaults are just as secure as they are as if, you know, someone was to access your, you know, instance of Chrome and could get at your password vault. that's there. Um, all they've got is a blob of encrypted data. Unlocking that if you're using a proper master password is going to be, you know, a multi, you know, thousand year effort to actually crack something that's like that um so i like you know yes they were breached how how severe is that uh what i start to go back to and again you mentioned this in the pre-show is the number of breaches associated with certain companies right how often does it happen is there a pattern of i don't know if it's necessarily negligence of but a pattern of attack a pattern of breach, whatever, a pattern of security best practices that are failing that lead to this sort of behavior. And it does feel like LastPass has been in the news every few years with this sort of a problem. So I'm starting to question, okay, what what's going on over there that this is the case? Are they not learning their lessons? Or do we just not hear about it from the other password managers when something like this occurs? 
Um, I don't know. What are your takeaways there? What do you think of that sort of a breach of those sort of security incidents? Yeah, I mean, this one, they stole some source code and they, oh gosh, what what else was it? Um, they stole source code. I know like a little bit of source code. Um, they had access to the development environment, basically, I guess, like a, I'm guessing like a staging kind of environment. Um, let's see. They they also stole some proprietary. What was it? Where did I see this? Uh, developer. OK, so they, they they compromised a developer account on some platform, I assume, and took portions of source code and some proprietary LastPass technical informations. So information. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure how valuable, like, I don't know, I mean, like, uh, I feel, I feel like as long as you're doing the proper maintenance on that source code, meaning like not storing secrets and things like that inside of source code. Um, my feeling is if, you know, it being stolen leads to a, a compromise, that's kind of, yeah, that's telling, right? Um, you, you should just assume that your source code for your, your platforms are going to be made available at some point. That's the way I like to think about it anyways. So yep. that's probably number one. I don't, what's that? Oh, no, I was just agreeing. Go, go ahead. Yeah, and I think the way they did it was through a developer account, right? So like account takeovers happen all the time. Um, that's not super surprising. That having been said, there are a lot of, instances we talk about this uh when, so like when we talk about um uh auditing and logging uh we usually point to a certain you know like here's why you don't log super sensitive data to third party logging services right and there's several reasons we give for that one of them though is that sometimes just like on third party services account maintenance is a hard thing to do if you have all of your developers uh, log in through single sign-on and single sign-ons used. And, and I talked about this, I think either the last episode or the episode before where I was mentioning entitlements, which is an open source uh, GitHub product um, that allows you to use, I believe, Okta to, or just, oh no, just like any, I think, I can't remember if it's OAuth or SAML, any one of those pro providers uh, that supports the relevant protocol um, to single sign-in and manage those entitlements and manage access to these third-party services. But a lot of companies don't use a, you know, a single point of failure like that, like a single sign-on to manage accounts to many third-party services. Or they do, but like maybe they've set up accounts that like, because they're trialing some software or whatever. And in those one-off cases, you're not going to use single sign-on. They're going to sign up with like their company account. So I guess why I'm saying all of this is like, it's not super surprising that a single developer account could be compromised and perhaps access to like source code or whatever technical information they're referring to, whatever that means. Like that's not super surprising, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's easy to yeah. do, even if you're doing security right. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, that's what I keep going back to is, you know, with LastPass, I, like you read through this and I'm always, I'm, I'm like, okay, we're probably making a bigger deal of this than it actually is, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if they're if they're doing things like security, like secure code reviews, they're doing penetration testing, they're doing, you know, a, a single developer account is going to get compromised at some point. A single single admin account is going to get compromised. Um, so again, like limiting that blast radius when you start thinking about securing your infrastructure and your code, uh, like, okay, so. They get access to the source code. If you don't have secrets in there, if you're making sure that you're doing everything right, um, yes, they may be able to find something in the source code. But if you've made it more difficult for someone like us to come in and audit it, guess what? It's probably going to be really difficult for the attacker as well. They may not have that experience and it'll take them a while. And you can start to migrate and change things up um, based on when they actually were able to get at that data. Um, so like if they're doing the security basics, this probably is is realistically a non-issue, especially because they didn't get access to master keys, master passwords. Um, like, you know, yeah, secure your account, make sure that you're not giving out your master password to people. And, you know, I, I guess let's all move on, right? Like, I, I don't know if there's really much, that much else to say to it. Yeah, no, it, it, this one does feel like uh, not not super scary and it, it feels like a pretty minor one. So overall, mm -hmm. 
not yeah. not not as uh, significant as the Twitter drama. No, not not, not the drama about Twitter. I should probably <laughs> do a better job of the drama about the Twitter. Twitter. About Twitter, yeah. the Twitter drama. Because Twitter drama is different Twitter thing. drama. Well, there was one other, there was a command injection in GitHub pages build pipeline. I don't know if that's something that oh, you are familiar with. Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to see the write-up. Hold on. Okay. Let me pull this. I'm putting Ken on the spot here. Um, <laughs> that's fine. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what he, you know, what he thinks of this, too. I'm not sure if the command injection is against GitHub or like something else. So I like, I haven't read it. I just, it caught my eye a couple of days ago. So I thought we could, we could talk through it. Mm -hmm. Actions pipeline, arbitrary code execution with tar. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Cool. We gave him uh $4,000 on a free GitHub pro subscription. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I've seen this before. Um, and actually, I think I was involved in this one specifically. I just okay. can't remember because <laughs> we do some, we do a lot. Uh, not like in bug bounty stuff, but like just a lot of security things. And so I don't remember. I, that's probably surprising to people like, oh, how could you not remember this? Like, no, like very easily. Um, but yeah, I kind of, this sounds familiar. It's probably just options in the YAML file that we, yeah, that looks to be like what it is and then untarring and um, yeah. So like, I think if you don't know, basically the way it works when you deploy pages is yeah, we, we have a Jekyll build under the hood and there's options for how, you know, there's build options you can pass in and you can configure some of that stuff with YAML and yada, yada, yada. Right. And then you can use actions to, 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 to build all of this stuff and uh, like to build private pages and all that, or sorry, pages, get up pages. Um, so basically you have a system that is taking user code and building it and deploying it and building it with user options. So you can imagine not, not an easy thing to do there, right? Um, and do it securely. So uh, this basically talks to arbitrary, arbitrary code execution using tar. Um, so they add an argument to tar uh, and it becomes a command. Um, system command, and then you've got command injection. Um, so there, he's bringing up the devil's advocate, like, wow, you found command injection on GitHub Actions Runner as an admin, big deal, so what? Uh, running arbitrary code specified by users, exactly what CI runners are for, you just found a way to do it in extra steps. Um, let's see, he says the, what makes this exploitable is the fact it can be triggered through a URL. Let's see. So, oh, uh, we craft a malicious payload. Where so this at this point they're passing in a checkpoint action as a command with a value of and basically ex ex executing a curl command um, and calling out to a URL to do that. Um, we send a URL to the admin of company private repository code. The admin clicks the link and follows the normal process of selecting a theme. We wait for the GitHub Spot to run. We have full access to the repository. Um, the big caveat here is, of course, the requirement of user action. So, oh, okay. So there. So you basically have to get the admin to click a link and then follow the normal process of selecting a theme. Yeah, I, I mean, my takeaway yeah. on this one, right? Like these these edge cases, the like the technology that we're using underneath the hood. And this is this this is one of those that this it's the reason why you have a bug bounty program, right? These mm -hmm. edge cases that you you like, okay, you probably you maybe you realize that you were using tar under the hood because that's the way that Jekyll was actually pushing these like themes out or whatever it was, um, but that option embedded within tar to actually do this checkpoint action which allows for execution of scripts right like it's just 
it's so far kind of embedded in this different technology that you're using that the, the surface is very hard to define, right? So having mm-hmm. a team that is actually looking at these edge cases at the, at the full stack in order to try and execute this sort of an input validation attack is extremely valuable, right? That's, that, that's my takeaway from this, right? Like if I'm looking at, um, you know, GitHub pages and actions from a, you know, from a product security, I'm trying to secure it perspective. Um, I like, it, it's just hard to get your hands around every technology that exists and read up on every single piece that's out there. There's only so much time that any one of us has to look at it. Um, and it is, I mean, honestly, it's a feather in the cap of whatever researcher that was able to uncover this sort of a problem um, to help secure it even further. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the the real issue here is not that, you know, arbitrary commands can be put into like your actions workflow. Like that's, that's the real takeaway here is that when they were able to like click, if they were able to get an admin to, of that repository to click on that link, then the checkpoint action tar command, which allows for that uh, calling out to a URL, uh, basically, well, just executing a system command in general. Um, so if the admin clicks on that, then it persists when they select the theme and that option, that, that checkpoint action continues to persist into the build cycle, right? Where, where that actual like untarring and all of that, uh, is going to occur. And that's kind of the actual exploit here. Um, I think what's more interesting actually, and they kind of put it as like a, 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 sa- a secondary or tertiary attack option is that you have access to like secrets to me, that's the more juicy part of all of this is like having, um, access to those secrets. So John, uh, so John is, uh, works, uh, with me. Um, uh, John has worked with Seth as well. Um, we know John pretty well. And, uh, he's, uh, he manages the, uh, one of our teams at GitHub. Um, so I won't put too much more information out there about John, but anyways, that's, he's, intimately familiar with this. Uh, so he said, this is fairly recent and it's effectively RC in the actions runner. Yeah. Yeah. It's valid. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It, it does require some interaction. Um, yeah. So for sure. Actions is a hard one. You know, anytime you're trying to secure a CI system and taking inputs and options yeah. and stuff, it's always fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's very similar too, right? Like you think about the cross-site scripting issues anytime that you're trying to like take user content and then, you know, redisplay it on a page, right? Like whether it's like customized themes or anything like that, like cross-site scripting is one of those that's, that's always going to pop up. There's always going to be an edge case. Um, and you've just got to realize that it's going to be, it's going to be there. So having something like, I go back to the, you know, you've got a team that's looking for issues, but you also have a bug bounty you know, program to actually to help identify those is going to be invaluable to, you know, to securing that sort of a platform. Yeah. And then the, the other part of that, which is equally important is having the, the actual, I guess, processes, culture, you know, many factors internally is like, you can find things all day long. Somebody has to fix them and somebody has to take responsibility and accountability for them. You have to have a process for that. Um, and yeah. I think that, you know, that's, that's the fully matured or at least, mostly mature SDL quality is yeah. Having, having, um, having a good remediation story in place, but if remediation, um, you know, in support of remediation, reflecting, you know, risks, reflecting health of health of services, um, making people accountable for, and teams accountable for, you know, fixing these types of things and also having a good relationship so that, um, you know, not just bug bounty, but internally discovered things. There's a process for that. So it's like, there's a whole bunch of, of factors in terms of like, yeah, it's why, that's why I say going back to the mudge thing, like a year and a half is not a long time to try and fix issues like that. Like, in fact, I'd argue it's, you're just getting started. <laughs> I mean, that's not, yeah. it's not anything. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, the, the, the normal tenure of a, CISO is probably about four to five years, I would think, right, um, in most organizations to actually affect some sort of change. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be with you, right, on that. You know, 12 to 18 months is you're just barely getting your hands around the problems that exist. Um, but if you don't feel yeah. like you have the support to make the changes, right, like, uh, yeah, 
we've already talked about all that. So, yeah, because yeah, if you have to hire people, if you need to, you know, go through procurement processes for tooling that you didn't previously have, and which just imagine like trying to fit into a, a CISO schedule the time to, you know, kind of go over like here's the the best of what we had reviewed with our vendors and like here are the options and you know here's what we're thinking and then get approval for all of that and and like i said schedule that time with the CISO just for one product like let's just take like smartphone endpoint security right let alone all of the other things and then like i mentioned the hiring um to get i've seen it i know what it's like to grow now in a very short period of time um and just just how much is involved in setting uh organized security organization up for future success as it grows. There's a lot of foundation laying that you have to do. So anyways, I say all this because it's like, again, I know a year and a half is not a long time. That's a terribly yep. short time. Yeah, not at all. So, well, good. Um, yeah. I, uh, so I know next week, I think you're going to be out, but Stefan's going to join me. We're going to do some NatSec discussions. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll step away from AppSec and ProdSec for a little bit. It'll be outside of my comfort zone. So I'm sure I'll have a lot of questions for, at, well, I mean, get your thesaurus ready or Google, whatever, when, you know, oh Stefan gosh. comes on, that's usually the case. Get Google ready. Get Google ready. Um, but so that'll be next week. Uh, we do have uh, other guests and other things that are be coming down the pipe this fall. Uh, if you would like some swag, jump into our Slack channel, DM me. Um, all I need is a physical address and a shirt size, and we can send you some a T-shirt and some stickers. And yeah, outside of that, Ken, is there anything else that you want to address today? I know you know we're we're running a little over, I guess, right? But we did start a little late. No, I just appreciate everybody watching and, and listening. Um, yeah, thank you for yeah. for your support. Yeah. Um, the channel keeps continues to grow and, you know, it's a huge motivating factor. It's, you know, why in the middle of a leadership summit, if I have a break, I want to hop on here and, and continue doing yeah. the show as much as possible. So, uh, yeah, just a big thank you to everybody that's shown, continues to show support and has shown support. Means yeah. a lot. Sorry about the te technical difficulties today. I, yeah, I, I blame Comcast, but that's pretty much my standard answer there. So <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we'll jump into Slack. Uh, say hi if you've got another topic that you'd like us to discuss. I know we didn't quite get to those questions. I think you answered a couple of them, Ken, while I was off. Sure, yeah. And yeah. But um, otherwise, yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Appreciate the time and participation. <laughs> Still better internet than Australia. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Have a good one. Thanks. <laughs>